there's bullshit out there, pardon my French, about people not being able to move out, but that's certainly not true. The big question is this, how investors like us have learned all in the silver spoon, successfully investing in property to create a passive income and still have a lifestyle now? That is the question. This podcast will give you the answers. I'm George Markoski and welcome to the Positive Property Show. Our mission is to empower 10,000 people to create financial freedom through property using the Markoski method. Join us. Hey guys, George Markoski, Positive Property. I've got Guru Gopta here from Ethical Property Investing. Goro, welcome to the show. Hey George and uh, hello to all the team at uh, Positive Property uh, Solutions. Yes. Now we're going live in the group at the moment and we've had a name change. So um, let's have a look. Australian Property Chat. So we're live in Australian Property Chat. If you're watching anywhere else, come into Property Chat because you can actually um, interact with us. I can see there's quite a few people live already. If you can see us, hear us, please say hello and that'd be good. So anyway, today, as the title says, we're going to be talking about NDIS. We're going to talk about what is NDIS. There's a lot of people that have been saying, you know, if I did a quick Google earlier and there was some ads saying, you know, earn 18% interest on NDIS. Now, 80% interest is pretty crazy. And I mean, either this is too good to be true or it's a license to print money. We're going to explore it all because Goro knows his stuff. I mean, you know the inside stuff. Hello, let's have a few hellos here. Hello, how are you? Welcome. So Goro... Let's, uh, let's talk about NDIS. Tell us what it is. Tell us how it works. Let's have a bit of a chat. Well, look, NDIS stands for National Disability Insurance Scheme. And so what we have to remember, it's basically an insurance model that was created to con uh, consolidate all the different uh, sporadic disability systems all around Australia into one nationwide system. Um, created by Labor, implemented by Liberals. So it's got cross-party support. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, it's not designed just to last for 5, 10, 20 years. It's designed to last until the foreseeable future. So long, long time. Yes. Yep. And is it doing any good? That's the question. Look, NDIS itself, um, it's going through its growing pains like any new bureaucratic-based system does. Um, I think it's in a few areas, it's, it's really created a massive change um, in a positive way. And in a few areas, it still leaves a lot to be lacking. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, I was chatting to a fairly, um, higher person within the NDIS today. Um, and he was mentioning that NDIS is going through its own, um, renewal or refreshment where they're going to be inwardly focused on their, um, clunky systems that belong in the 1950s at the moment. Yeah. Look, look, a lot of government stuff's got a lot of red tape. Also, what I wanted to mention, if you guys are watching the replay and a lot of you probably are, I know that because most of you come with the replay, please just type in hashtag team replay, just so I know you've been watching and uh, we can keep delivering great content to you. Yeah. So the NIS was provided there to um, obviously put it all together in one system. And whenever anything government happens, it's pretty big. Now, Part of that system is actually supplying housing to people with disabilities. Is that correct? Either physical yeah, or mental. So the, um, I was speaking to the gentleman that actually created the format of that um, about, I'd say about six months ago. Um, yeah. And the, what he mentioned, um, what he actually mentioned was that it was designed for the system for disability housing to follow a similar trend to 
I guess, regular housing. And the reason why they pay more is to factor in the extra paperwork or the extra modifications to the building that are required. Yep. So what percentage of people that are looking for a rental property are on the NDIS system? I'm curious. Well, here's some statistics for you. Um, currently, there's, um, I forget how many um, hundreds of thousands, I think it's almost like a million people that are supposed to be on the NDIS within wow. Australia. Alone. So that's a huge amount. Yep. But only 6% of those people, which are on what they call the complex needs pathways, are eligible for SDA or Specialist Disability Accommodation. Uh-huh. Yes. So the pool is very small. Um, it's, um, and we'll cover some of the pros and cons, I guess, a little bit later and how I, um, I'll give my background as well when it comes to this. Um, but really, the pool for the kind of tenants, we're really talking about maybe under 30,000 people across Australia. And wow, it's not that tiny. Many. It's tiny. Yeah. That, that's so tiny because, I mean, you look at Sydney at the moment, and this is interesting. I mean, at the moment, the two biggest cities for vacancies are Sydney and Melbourne. And Sydney's got over 30,000 vacant properties. So it's the whole of NDIS just in Sydney. You know what I mean? Crazy. Um, the funny thing is the vacancy rate in the rest of Australia has been dropping sharply, but Sydney and Melbourne have gone through the roof. And actually, Sydney and Melbourne have got more vacancies than the rest of Australia put together. Really? Wow. Yes. Yeah. That just I, came really out just came out recently. And that's part of the reason is because a lot of the unit market in capital cities, like in Melbourne and, and Sydney, I mean, la just last six months, they've dropped 9%. So they keep dropping. And the prices are dropping of the rentals. Part of the reason is because people are leaving and there's no one to rent it to. So that's that's one thing you have to, you know, when you're investing in property, the one thing you're going to do is make sure you've got a property that can be rented for a long time, not just mm -hmm. a short time. And that's part of the reason, you know, and, you know, you've been in property for a long time. You know, you know property. You've probably been doing it for over 20 years now, I think, because I've known you for quite a long time. Back in the old days when you and I met Arnold Schwarzenegger together. That's right. right. Good old Arnie, who's an avid property investor, mind you. Well, he made his money through property. That's right. And that's, and that's what gave him the opportunity to become big in um, big in um, movies. And as you know, when we met him, he's told us the story where if it wasn't for property, he wouldn't have been famous in acting because he would have just taken any role, but he didn't have to. He had the money to back him up and he had recurring income before he even started acting. So then he could take his time and really do it properly. I mean, he, he'd retake a scene over and over again until he got it right, where a lot of other people just got in there. They were very busy going back to their real lives and they, didn't, they couldn't afford to do that. That's right. That's right. So, um, so that's one thing. You've got to be able to rent the property out. So in the IS, I mean, these people saying there's 18% return. Obviously, it's a high return for NDIS, but how does it work and how do, how, do, how, do, how do you get to do it and who's the right person to do NDIS? Obviously, it doesn't suit everyone. It doesn't. And so uh, a lot of those returns promising 18% aren't, aren't worth the paper they were written on um, or printed on or on the screen on or the um, per-click ad that they paid for on Facebook that you probably read. So a little bit of background about me, um, just so that people are aware, like who they're talking to, what level of expertise, because I think that's really important because there's a lot of people providing advice out there. Um, and just as, you know, if you've been hanging out with George long enough, you know to get the advice from the right sort of person. So between um, my immediate family and myself, now I'm, I'm an Indian by background, if in case you haven't figured, um, we invest together as a family group. So between my um, immediate family and I, we typically have... Um, I would say about we've got about 35 properties that we own and 
out of that property portfolio, about 10 million of that is geared towards NDIS properties. Yep. So you could say I'm heavily invested just a little bit, right? Yep, definitely. Uh, yeah, so um, I've got over $10 million worth of property within the NDIS, and I am also a co-owner of what is the largest privately owned specialist disability accommodation provider in all of Victoria, wow. right? And so we've currently got 45 houses open. Um, along with our system, or we'll have by the end of this financial year because there's some that are opening up soon. So, yes, this is I, I live, breathe, and eat NDIS, and um, I spend about 80% of my time, believe it or not, when I'm talking to people about investing, convincing them why it's not a good investment for them, unfortunately. I wish it wasn't that way, but it, it's all these marketers that have bought into the propaganda without doing the due diligence. Mm -hmm. Yep. And especially, I'm really glad by the way, there's a Facebook user on there, Robust. Yep. Perfect. We were having a conversation about Robust today. That's a really good question. Hell no. Right? Just repeat after me. Do not invest in Robust. Please, if you want your sanity, your money, your financial wealth, do not invest in Robust. To give you an idea, George, Robust is for people with specialist needs who typically commit property damage behavior. Yes, yep. you pay more for the build. And yes, it's sexually marketed out there. There's one company out there that's sexually marketing it. Yes, the government will pay you three times, et cetera, et cetera. But you, do you realize as either the provider or the owner of the property, you're liable for any damage that goes on in the houses? We've had in some of our houses that have been rented out to robust people. We've had window frames taken out, door frames pushed in. We had in one house $120,000 worth of damage in one year. I don't wish that on my worst enemy. 120000 in one year? Yes. Wow. So please repeat after me if you're watching this. I shall not invest in robust no matter what. Smart idea. Um, yeah. Can I ask you a question? And this might be politically incorrect, but the robust housing, is that taking over from the padded room with the with the jacket and all that sort of stuff, you know, people that have got mental there's, challenges. Um, there's uh, restrictive behaviour practices. Um, unfortunately, the truth with people who have been robust is that they're typically in jail for non-violent offences. That's really who they're taking. It's not really the padded room stuff. Um, it's it's more the they're in jail for um, really, I don't know, breaking, as I said, they're not hurting anyone else. Um, they might have behaviours of concern. So really, there's different types of categories. Now that we've gone down this pathway, let's dissect it a little bit more. Yep, yep. NDIs have given different categories um, of builds. The first level is basic. Let's not even talk about that because that really forms the reason why they created basic is to um, take care of the older department of housing houses, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have the next level, which is called improved livability. I love improved livability. I think that's one of the sexiest things out there, but it must be done right, and I'll talk about that in a second. Then you have um, robust, um, which we talked about. These houses need to be significantly over-engineered. I estimate not just a little bit of modification, but typically double the build cost of a normal house. Wow. Right? Um, coupled with regular complaints. And so we said no matter... It doesn't matter if we get paid triple on our own end. We're not going to be managing any robust because even from a management point of view, they're horrible, right? Yeah. Um, and the only people that make money are the care providers within them. So we're working with care providers to build them for themselves, but it's not a it's not a retail market solution at the moment. 
Mm -hmm. right? yeah. um, then you have what's called fully accessible and high physical support, which is basically made for people in wheelchairs. Typically, um, people with high physical support are more disabled, um, as in they may not have use of their arms. Obviously, there's exceptions to the rule. Typically, if you need like 24-7 care and you don't have use of your arms, yet it's your high physical support, then you've got fully accessible. So there's multiple categories. My challenge that I find out there in the market, everyone, um, every single person I've talked to is doing high physical support builds, which there's not that many tenants of. We've already discussed 30,000 people and really out of that 30,000, maybe 6,000 might get high physical support, maybe 10,000. That's yes, not so very many. So it's a very small market there. And um, I'm just curious about, you know, with an NDIS property, you've got to spend more to build one, don't you? Yes, you do have to spend significantly more to build one um, in some cases. So yep. let, me, let me clarify that. Um, I'll just really, uh, really quickly address the question. You can't typically mix and match rooms in houses. You can mix and match participants within the highest level house. So you can build a robust house and put improved livability in there, but you can't do one improved livability room and two room robust. That's That doesn't work in the current architecture of the system. Um, now, let's, let's go back into what costs more to build. So whoever's building it, the first question I would ask is, how much experience do you have with disability? Are you just following the guidelines? Because honestly, Someone, you can just Google SDA guidelines and you can download them. They're free to everyone. There's no magic pill there. However, those guidelines are minimum acceptable standards. I mean, George, what does it feel like when I say, George, you've got to now spend 20 years of your life living in a minimum acceptable standard home? Yeah, I wouldn't like that, no. And if Not you've a got a disability, with nothing, we have lack of friends, you don't want to live there either. So we don't no. want to build minimum acceptable standard. And I'm seeing... I'm seeing houses out there. Um, there's a company out there promoting 8% yield. I'm not going to name who it is. 8% um, guarantee, but I've seen their housing design. Mate, I would be surprised you fit a wheelchair in those houses, let alone anything else. Yeah, the right? problem is if you skimp on quality, you're not going to get the tenant. And if, even if you get a tenant, you're not going to keep them long. You're going to end up empty. Exactly. So I'll give you an example of the build cost and where that goes to and where the over-engineering goes to. So, look, if we're building an improved livability house, typically... And the best market, um, the best force we can get to figure out if it's over-engineered or not is a bank valuation because they're typically more conservative than even the regular market, right? Mm -hmm. With an improved livability house, if we build it really well where everyone's got an ensuite, so give everyone in there a really good quality of life, we find that there's maybe 10,000 or zero valuation shortfall. I've had multiple cases where there's no valuation shortfall at all right and this is building it to a really high quality spec and the build of that is about 350 to 370 thousand that is suitable for people who might have down syndrome autism um various other they might be uh partially blind or fully blind that's who these houses suit right if you want to do that great and um typically for that i would expect let's let's i did i did a brochure earlier today um and look i'm going to give melbourne figures so that you know what a beginner NDIS property investment should yield, right? Um, about 6% net, which is still a good return, right? But it's not 18%. Not 18, no, because a lot, a lot of the ads say 10, 12, 18. So 
And that's for the most conservative or beginner investor who doesn't have extra funds to put in in order to get significantly more cash flow. Mm -hmm. Then we're talking about, let's say, the highest level disability. Typically, I I tell people, if you want to invest in that, have expect, and once again, I'll talk Melbourne for the moment, and I'll talk to you about why I don't recommend Queensland for this at all right now in the next three years. Um, But in Melbourne, if we're building it, it's really a 900K project, right? That's with our discounted builders. So we've actually whittled down the price a lot, but kept the quality high. You know, tiled, tiled um, full wet rooms in the bathrooms. Everyone's got an ensuite, really a good quality of life um, so that people continue to stay in the houses because they can move out, right? There's bullshit out there, part of my French, about people not being able to move out, but that's certainly not true. Um, Let's talk about the yields there. So after our management fees, and I'll tell you, we actually do charge significant management fees. I'll tell you where that uh, where those fees go to. Um, let's say nine hundred thousand, which is the one I'm working on, eight point three percent. That's the maximum yield we'll give. Here's the challenge: whoever's building it has to make sure there's tenant demand in that area. Otherwise, you're going to have. What's happened is that even me in some of my properties. Um, even some of my first round of clients that invested with me in the beginning, and I'm not proud to say this, we thought, hey, there'd be lots of tenants everywhere. There's X amount of people. The government's committed 70 million per annum or 700 million per annum, whatever that figure is, um, to housing. Yes, you beat, let's go for it. Kind of mm-hmm. like what people are out there doing now. We learned the hard way. We've got some vacancies that have been vacant for up to 18 months. Wow, 18 months. That's a long time. And we're the experts in the industry. Yep, yep, yep. Right. So, so if you're going to get NDS property, you really need to budget to have it vacant for a certain amount of time. But also yeah. between vacancies could be a challenge as well. It's not like a normal property where if you lose a tenant, you get a new tenant in a week. Correct? Yes. That's yeah. right. Can I, if you don't, uh, now the one thing I want to do, I want to do two things, but the most important thing right now I want to do is if if someone's trying to sell you property in Queensland, run for the hills, right? The reason why... Um, the reason, and I'll talk to you, that's a really good question from that user. Um, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but the reason why we don't want to do Queensland is that we've stopped, we only built 10 in Queensland, but we stopped all builds after that because we're having challenges tenants know our existing ones in Queensland. In fact, for about 50% of our Queensland builds, we've asked the owners to put on the general rental market. I'm talking to the good, bad, and the ugly. Here's the problem. If you buy one of these properties in Queensland, you probably end up renting it to a normal person and get normal rent, even though you spend more on building the house. Because let's face it, they're not going to be as appealing to the average person because they're designed differently with all those ramps and different things. Well, it's not so much the ramps, it's more the bathrooms, believe it or not. I mean, who wants an open bathroom? People like showers, actual showers, not a shower curtain like you see in a hospital. Um, So typically um, what... What, what is the over-engineering? Number one, it's the size of the house. You're required to build a very, very large house. But also, we put fire sprinkles into our houses and we make that mandatory because the care providers have requested it, right? A fire sprinkle and a battery backup alone, that's $50,000 worth of extra additions that a bank is not going to value. Yeah, because the bank, you need the battery backup, don't you? Because obviously, if they've got, um, you know, oxygen or whatever they've got i don't know life support equipment two hours battery backups required by law yep yep yep, yep. so so yes um, so 50 of the properties in queensland so just don't buy in queensland that's what you're saying okay interesting run for the hills 
for yep. at least the next, this information is accurate for the next two to three years, um, I would say, based on the information uh, there. Now, can I read out something that the NBIS has actually put out about SDA yes. investing and what to watch out for? Yep. Right? And this is the reason why it's important to deal with someone who's already got open properties. So let's have a look at this. SDA is complex and requires specialist knowledge to develop and operate. Those interested in investing in SDA are advised to consider and speak specialist advice in regards to the following items. Number one, be wary of claims that look too good to be true. For instance, yep. be wary of returns on investment that appear to be excessively high. Yeah, right? which is most the ads on the internet. That's the first thing the NDIS has put out. Now, here, let's go for the second one. Ensure the dwelling has suitable planning approval from the local government for intended purpose. Great. That's fine. Ensure the dwelling is certified to comply with the requirements of the National Construction Code. Um, there is no such thing as an NDIS-approved builder that will build it for you. It's really the assessor that will assess the plans prior to construction and post-construction that will give you a tick of approval that will then allow you to achieve the SDA standards. Um, number three, uh, number four, sorry. Ensure the dwelling is audited and complies with the requirements of the SDA guidelines and other requirements in the SDA price guide. Um, this brings me to a point. See if the provider you've dealt with has been through an audit. Um, see if the provider has been through an audit um, mm. because if they haven't been through an audit, honestly, that's one of the hardest things we've had to do. It took three months of our time. Now we're the gold standard in audits. Um, an audit will take months and months and months of paperwork for the SDA provider, right? Just as a side note, typically property managers manage, one person manages 100 properties. That's a normal property manager. And they charge from the range of 3 to 10, three to 8% typically. We will charge anywhere from 20 to 35% because it takes us eight people to manage 45 houses. Wow, that's a lot right? of people. And we were calculating today the value of trying to find one participant is circa fifteen to twenty thousand. That's how much it costs our team to try to find one participant that goes into a house. Yep. Wow. So, uh, how long does it take you to find a tenant for one of these properties? Usually, it typically takes for us to fill a house with three residents. It takes about five hundred hours. Five hundred hours. Wow. Yep. That's why I've got all these gray hairs and put on all that extra weight since you saw me last. Uh, uh, I like the mustache, by the way. It looks awesome. <laughs> Thank you. So, I've got a question here. Is can, there... I, can I just um, finish off the three points and then let's answer them? Some of these questions are really good. I want to get to them. So ensure the dwelling is in a location, a dwelling design category and configuration for you are confident there is potential, right? That's Be aware. Important that each participant must be specifically approved for funding to live in SDA and the application process is comprehensive and takes time. Only 6% of the anticipated NDIS participants are found eligible for SDA, as I mentioned earlier. Be aware, NDIA provides no guarantee that a vacancy will be filled until a participant moves into the dwelling and no payment will be made or received. So wow. there's no guarantees in this process either, yep. right? Yeah. Um, should we go through some of these questions? Yeah, yeah. So one question from a Facebook user, is the SDA component of a plan only accessible to an NDIS registered provider registered to offer SDA supports? That's correct. 
So the way it works, um, I'll see if I can load up a document um, here that I created called SDA Simplified, and you'll see how simple it is. Yeah, now you've got a little checklist. Do you mind if we post that in the group afterwards? Yes, please. Um, please ask your provider these questions if you're looking to get into it. By the way, um, I'm just letting people know um, this is definitely not um, – if you want to approach me about purchasing any of these, don't approach George. He'll tell you if I've got any available. Um, at the moment, if someone approached me about buying a high physical support property, our quota is actually full to the new financial year. Okay. Wow. That that's that's how it is. Can I? I'm just going to share this with you if I can, uh, on the screen. Yep. Yep. Just go to share screen. You should be able yep. to do it. So the key component to this is the SDA provider because they're the one that actually received the funding, right? Mm -hmm. So if we have a look here, we've got landlord who plays monopoly, um, engages with whoever the associated company is. In in our case, it'll be ethical property investments. They'll source the land, manage the construction. A lot of people only see that top layer of the iceberg. Yep. And it is the top layer because have a look, all the funds down below. So they've got to get location advice and guaranteed uptake by the SDA provider who works with the NDIS, lodges documents to get approvals. They pay empowered livability once they find a tenant and they match the tenants with each other, people who may not have never met each other in their lives before. They match them all together um, and they also engage the care provider and make sure the care provider provides the care. If not, they can escalate it and put a new care provider in and then manages the SDA house. So it's a complex web, George. Yeah. The key component is the provider. So you really need someone that's an expert to show you how to do this properly because look how complicated it is. But not only that, um, for those who are listed to the podcast, um, we've got some graphics here. So if you go into um, Australian Property Chat, you'll be able to see the video and actually look at the picture and how it works. So let me ask you a question. So let's say if you were to buy an NDIS property in Queensland, what's likely to happen? Well, either either one of two things will happen. Either you'll get strung along um, saying, yes, we'll rent your property, we'll rent your property. Um, or you'll just have to release it to the general rental market. Or some of these property companies may just have to swallow up their pride and offer market rent for your property, if that's what they've guaranteed. Which we honestly we did at the start, and we've done that, and uh, we've then transitioned them out into other situations. Because something we do in our properties that we build is we build an interesting form of backwards compatibility. Okay. Yeah, which still gets much higher than market rate. I won't reveal that now. If you want more information, find George, find someone else. We can chat about that. Yep. Yep. Um, and now someone's asked, can you rent each room individually? You can't because there needs to be rooms for carers as well. This whole house, we we have a head lease arrangement. We we sublease the rooms, right? Um, this is um, from an investment point of view question, George. Um, and we sublease the room, so we take a head lease agreement and we lease out each room. That's how legislation allows us to do that work. Mm. Um, but it's, it's up to the provider to do that, not the landlord. And please don't think you can become a provider. It's one of the hardest things. I've ever had to do and I've seen other people try to do and they've unfortunately failed. You need significant amount of experience with disability. One of the co-directors for Empowered Livability, she's got about, I'd say about 17 years experience in the disability sector. That's a level of expertise that it takes to be successful in this industry. And I, and I look, it sounds like you've got to get the, the house, the area, the tenants and the provider, the carer, all 
to work into each other because if one of them doesn't fit, it's not yes. going to work. Because um, if they don't get on, it's not going to work long term either, is it? So it's very yeah. complicated. So really, if you're a new investor, you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> Go buy a townhouse um, yeah. or, or something else. Like, yeah. you know, this, this is not financial advice, of course. Yeah. Um, but NDIS isn't for you if you're a beginner investor. Yeah, so it looks like NDIS is really for a very more sophisticated investor who's looking for larger returns and yeah. is willing to take the risk, but also has got money to back them up and be able to cope with not renting it out for six months and things like that. So you really okay. need... And I think through your checklist, you ask a lot of questions like that because people need to be ready for a shortfall in valuations and paying extra for the engineering and, and everything else like that. And also, you need a backup plan too. You know, can you rent it to the normal rental market? And I think that's what I like about what you do. You can backwards cap capability, so at least you can rent it out to a normal person. Yeah. And look, uh, George, what I, uh, I'll share with the I'll share with you um, on a personal level a little bit later. What our um, secret, secret backup plan is because we have we still have a backup plan where um, we can we can get higher than market yields for these properties if we can't yield them uh, let them out as SDA. Um, but these are these are the kind of things that people need to be careful of. Um, my number one thing I would ask people to do when you're buying the property: ask who the provider is, do some research on the provider, and ask to show them get them not to just talk to you, but show you video proof of their tenants moving into their properties. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Because we don't want to just get someone that's telling us they can do it but can't really do it. Actually yeah. speak out in words, and it's very important. Yeah. And look, I think because um, we recently had um, someone in our group that was talking about getting an NDIS, and it was their first property. So I actually did say, look, just don't do it. It's your first property. Don't do it. Because really, I like people to, you know, get their portfolio happening, get the bread and butter stuff, the three to four, four bedroom townhouse or house in a capital city. Where it's not and that's the important part. Because once you've got a bit of a portfolio, then you can start speculating and start doing more of this risky high return stuff. Because the fact of it is, the higher the return, the higher the risk. And that's just the way it is. And there's no way around that. You can't get a higher return if you don't risk more. Would you agree? I'd agree with you 100% there, George. Um, I wish all investors had that um, had that mindset. Um, and I, as, just like you do, I spend a lot of time educating people on, on that kind of mindset. Absolutely. And I think, look, if you're looking to NDAS, make sure you educate yourself. Check out Gora and his company. Uh, but obviously, you're booked out until next year, which is pretty amazing. And you're called sustainable living. Uh, so um, ethical property investments. Ethical, sorry, ethical property investing. I yep. like it. Great name, and I've seen some of your videos on, and you help people out. And I look, I love what you're doing because you're really, you know, doing something that actually helps people, which is awesome. You know what I mean? I think it's very, very important. And look, um, we are also the only company at the moment that the federal minister of housing's endorsed um, in regards to SDA. Right. So, wow. um, if we're having challenges in the system, um, now one of our other challenges we've got as an operational model is people tend to drop off the portfolio profile. Um, this is a temporary problem. NDIs are still getting the internal systems right. So the rent fluctuates. It's not always you, you'll get exactly this amount of rent. It does go up and down. Yep. And now what back pay happens. All right. So the rent goes up and down, does it? Yep. yep. But the back pay will happen to smooth it out. Um, 
but it just goes to show that if if this is your only property investment and this is all you're basing your investment on it's not necessarily the right thing for you yeah especially with fluctuating rent what i was going to ask is getting a loan would not be easy though for NDIS compared to a normal house well um i uh, unfortunately i can't talk on a public forum about how we get the loans for these but yeah, they're okay. probably the hardest things you have to do that's, um, that's what I thought. I thought getting a loan for NDIS is not going to be easy. Yeah. And if it's your first property, you probably won't even get the loan. Yeah, you probably won't get the loan, especially if you tell the bank it's an NDIS property. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. the bank's um, I think I've covered why not Queensland specifically. I'd love to cover it again, but just go through it, review it. I spent like 10, 20 minutes, or 10 minutes plus on yeah. why not Queensland. The reason Queensland, not specifically, because there's an oversupply of NDIS properties in Queensland at this point in time. And there's no tenants so most people that are building them are actually having to rent them out to the normal rental market and depending on the design i'd reckon you'd probably even get less for the property than a normal property being an ndis because of all the stuff in it because you don't want to live in a hospital you know you want to live somewhere nice yeah, yeah definitely so guys um look we're nearing the end so if you've got any more questions please shoot ahead go ahead but uh we are going to post a checklist in the group uh, just so you can look at it. We'll be posting that tomorrow. Uh, Goral emailed me tonight. And, you know, thank you so much for joining us. If you're on our podcast, please come and join our Facebook group, Australian Property Chat. And if you're in our Facebook group, come and join our podcast, Positive Property Podcast. Awesome. Anything else you'd like to add, Goro? Um, No, I, all I want to say is uh, I wish everyone the best in their investment journey. Um, Make sure um, that you do the right due diligence and trust the experts who walked the path before. So I would, I would say follow co follow mentors, not coaches in the property space. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's too many people that don't walk their talk out there. And if you're going to invest in someone, invest with someone that's done it themselves. That's the important. So these houses have disability ramps and rails. Well, ideally, you build a house so it doesn't need to have disability ramps and rails. It should look like a normal property from the front. Um, I think in about two cases, uh, we do have ramps in the front uh, where we couldn't avoid it due to the state. Um, but ideally, we want to avoid the ramps at the front. However, most of them do have ramps at the back, just the way property, and you want to make sure water falls off in an even place. So, yes, um, they will have disability ramps at the back, but not the front. I'd imagine you'd have to have rails in the bathroom and place like that, correct? Oh, yes. So, yes. Good point. Yeah. Uh, in the, every single bathroom, you have a full disability. Uh, I don't know if anyone's been to a disability shower um, or a disability bathroom. It'll be a very similar experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Goro, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. And um, thank you, everyone else. Everyone have a great Wednesday night. We'll talk soon. Cheers. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for all our listeners around the world. If you found this podcast valuable, please share with someone that might find this useful and please join our tribe of purpose-driven investors, increasing income and impact in our Facebook group, Positive Property. Please note, we have a multi-million dollar property portfolio and a passive income. I've become incredibly successful at investing in property. The fact of it is, however, many people may find investing in property challenging. It's not easy. And it takes a lot of hard work. However, becoming educated to make an informed decision and having the right advisors gives you the tools you need to succeed. The most important part of this formula, however, is to actually take action and apply that knowledge. 
It is important to understand the information I share is of a general nature only and is not taken into account your unique circumstances. If you're considering investing in any asset class, you need to seek the advice of an independent professional advisor who will be able to look at your specific situation. Be sure your advisor has actually achieved the kind of results you're seeking. Many won't have, so beware. We've taken great care putting those educational resources together. We'd be surprised if you didn't find any errors or omissions. If you do, our legal team says we have to say we're not responsible for those. In fact, as with all things, even your success, we're not responsible. That responsibility always has and always will come down to you and the actions you take. We're passionate about supporting you in that process and helping you increase your ability to create wealth, live the life you desire, provide all the things you dream of for you and your family.